chilly winters. And that's a strange opening to an episode of a podcast. But I just love how evocative chilly winters sounds. And it's the name of a candle company from the Isle of Wight. And if you want to know more, you're going to have to listen. I hope you enjoy this episode. I did. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? Good morning, David. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really well, thank you. A bit tired because I've been a bit busy, but um, yeah, all good. Thank you. Well, you were just, you were literally just telling me before we did the introduction about... Um, You've, li- you've just finished a, a trade show, haven't you? Yes, we have. Um, so we run a small business called Chilly Winter based on the Isle of Wight, which specialise in home fragrance, candles, reed diffusers, sterling silver jewellery and other gifts. Um, we make everything by hand. Our values are hugely important to us. And we know that as a, as a young business, we need to step up a bit. So we've started shifting our focus from B2C to B2B. So our first huge trade show was in London Olympia um, called Top Draw, which is an annual event run by Clarion. Um, and it was hugely successful, hugely successful. It was so great to meet journalists, um, spend time in the press, um, press room, um, to meet buyers and prospects. And actually we met some of our actual stockists face to face for the first time, which was really cool. So you get to really engage with people. Um, you know, seeing them in person, giving them samples. You know, you can't scratch and sniff certain products through a computer screen. So actually being, you know, being able to show off our products in situ and be there shoulder to shoulder um, with with other um, brands as well um, was a fantastic opportunity. And we learned a huge amount. We learned a huge amount um, about being in that environment. Um, as I say, the kind of journalist side of things and the yeah. interviews that go on. And um, we got some fantastic exposure um, through Clarion and Pressloft. We were on the trend stand. We were in the actual brochure itself. We had a couple of free images of our products there. And um, it was a really good fun event as well. There was a, a few beers sunk each evening as well before we went back and did our homework and follow up each evening. But it was great. Really, really great opportunity for us. I, I have a bit of a random question, and it's to do with the awesome. name Chilly Winter. Right, because yeah. because it's it's candles, and one of the things whenever you go into a candle shop, one of the greatest things about candles is you, you just want to smell them. You want to pick yeah. them up. You want to touch. But when I hear the name, when I saw first the name Chilly Winter, that's how I feel about it. It, it, it almost <laughs> reminds me. Of, I, I'm not sure if it's like a hot drink or, or a chocolate bar, <laughs> I, but I want it. Do you know what I mean? When I, when I first saw Chilly Winter, I was like, I want that. It, it, it really works. It does. Um, yeah, it makes you feel cosy, doesn't it? It makes you think, ooh. Um, you I know, want like, to taste you know, it. Oh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. No, no, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, it's that kind of capture. I, I want to yeah. smell it or I want to taste it. I want to... Yeah, absolutely. The name is sensory. And yes. I think that is, that is quite inspired. But bizarrely, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the origins of the name Chilly Winter. So I'm Cathy Chilliston and um, <laughs> my, my life partner and business partner is Dave Winter. And about five years ago, we were making rhubarb gin and uh, we were enjoying a rhubarb gin cocktail with our friends one summer. Um, and it was rhubarb gin, coarse and pressed, the apple and rhubarb one, and then topped with Prosecco. And after a few of these, we named it the Chilly Winter. 
And um, yeah, <laughs> it kind of grew from there. And I know it might sound as though there's no link, um, David, but, but there is a link. Yeah, it is. And, and the link is this. I um, have always been quite creative, not artistic, but very creative, both in business and in, in different hobbies and interests I've pursued. Um, but I really wanted a, a rhubarb candle, and I didn't want rhubarb and ginger, rhubarb and strawberry, rhubarb and custard. There's rhubarb and everything, but not just the plain rhubarb one. So as I say, this is some five years ago. So I thought, well, how hard can it be? So um, I did a lot of research, bought in some materials and started playing around with it. And um, about a year and a half after that, we had our first stockist. And um, as I said at the beginning of our conversation before you introduced me um, to your podcast, um, I gave up the corporate world and missing both ends of the day with the long commute um, in my HR career yeah. uh, coming up to three years ago. So we're in our third year of trading with Chilly Winter. And it's not just fragrance candles we have now. Um, as I say, we have um, Dave is also a silversmith. Um, he's a full-time key worker, but he pursues um, uh, silver jewellery making, and he's he's a real natural. He's really patient. He's got exceptional close eyesight, and he produces some really elegant and classic designs, which are inspired by um, our rural environment and coastline on the Isle of Wight here. So that's a little bit about the origins of chili winter and our name that makes you feel all cosy. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend you eat them, David. No, no, for sure. But it is. It's, <laughs> I, I love how... Um you get a kind of, like you say, you're with some friends. It's a nice environment. You've combined you and your partner's name. Yeah. And from a cocktail drink. You know? Yeah. And and then that turns into like the, the, the business of, yeah. A but, hobby but, surprise and now an actual business, which but, is growing arms and legs. <laughs> and, but, and I love the way that you, you take one aspect, like you say, that creativity yeah. that, um, it comes from somewhere else, but you it, it draws you into another place, yeah, and and you end up with this wonderful name that really does sit very well with the product. Yeah, it does. It does sit hugely well with the product, and and candles is our main business. Um, uh, Dave will be able to take part uh, partial retirement in about um, I say in about but three years and ten months counting, um, and um, you know we're going to be setting up. Um, his jewellery design um, making and production um, in the build up to that because um, it's something he really really enjoys we're, we're not going to be cheating so what I mean by cheating is you know, a lot of jewellery makers um, create moulds and have yeah. things cast on mass and of course that's where the margins are of course that's um, you know where the profit really comes in but he does it because he really enjoys it and making every single piece by hand is something he takes great pride in. Um, so he, he wants to maintain that and maintain um, his roots with having original pieces um, that, that he makes. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to growing that arm of the business um, in the coming couple of years. But also, I mean, with, with all things, when, when it comes from the heart and there's a genuine passion that customers can, can attach to, if it's bespoke, people will buy into it. Mm, exactly, because everyone wants something a little bit different, not yeah. the same as, you know, another 20,000 people in the country have probably got one off. Yeah, we all like something that's absolutely unique. Um, and, uh, yeah, having something a little bit different and being able to differentiate ourselves is massively important to our brand. And that, that 
um, actually covers all of our products. The main way that we are able to compete in such a saturated market is through our values. And one of those values, we, we've got five core values, but one of those values is community giving. And um, I've worked in public sector, not-for-profit, social housing and charitable sector throughout my HR career. And so it's kind of part of my makeup yeah. that um, I give back. And, um, you know, the community has given to me hand over fist over the years. And I really enjoy contributing to it as well. It gives you a greater sense of purpose, fulfillment and um, cohesion with, with your neighbours and your community. So um, in, in um, the first and second lockdown, in fact, throughout the whole of last year, um, early on in um, early April, um, we set about designing a rainbow candle product and variations of, and we also collaborated with a local um, uh, potter and illustrator to um, add some complementary products to the collection. So we had just over 12 different products and they were 100% not for profit for our local hospice, um, which is the Mountbatten Hospice, and they provide care at the local hospice, but also across the community as well. And it's not just helping those who um, have um, deteriorating or terminal illnesses, but it's supporting the family as well. So supporting the family in terms of um, social activities, um, therapeutic activities, and also bereavement care and counselling as well. Um, and of course, you know, it's something that's relevant to all of us um, we all know someone somewhere who has been touched through um, terminal illness and um, uh, it's becoming less taboo so we we talk about end of life care we talk about those things far more openly than we ever have before the reason we chose Mountbatten is not just because they are hugely important in our Isle of Wight community but also because all of their revenue streams with their planned fundraising events were cut uh, due to COVID, and yet their staff, their frontline staff, yes. were under extraordinary pressure um, to continue to deliver the quality and continuity of patient care um, and support to um, relatives and, and what have you, both within the hospice and across the community. So yeah, in um, between April and December last year, with our 12 products that were 100% not-for-profit, we raised just over £4,000. That's good. And it may not sound like much, but actually as a startup business, that's it. that was a huge chunk. Oh, no. and, um, and we were very, very pleased to be able to give something back to the hospital at a time when they really needed it. Tell me, a, tell, give me a charity that wouldn't accept £4,000. So that, yeah, that's that's a large sum of money and it is and if everyone just does a little bit it all comes together and it does make a huge impact it and, does. Um, yeah absolutely so and that sat well with us that congratulations that's well. a really good effort well done yeah thank you we really enjoyed it as well um, i wouldn't say i'd want to make rainbow candles on an ongoing basis <laughs> being very very labor intensive because obviously you have yeah. seven layers of color that you have to cure before you can pour the next layer whereas all of our other candles are single pour. So, um, yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> but, but it did enable us to really reach out and engage with people, not just on our on our island, but across the UK. We had more sales, um, actually, from customers um, on the big islands um, across the UK than we did on the Isle of Wight. That's a funny one with the Isle of Wight, isn't it? Because it is you're attached to another island. holiday <laughs> or... You know, they, they came here on a school trip as a child or what have you. 
somebody, you know, most of us know somebody or have some kind of link or connection to the Isle of Wight. So I think, you know, it helps us raise our profile as well. Yeah. It shows us like how we do business, not just what we do, but how we do what we do and why we do what we do. So, it, you know, that's a really good example of how our collaboration, working with other businesses and also community and community giving is really, really important. I'm sure I might be wrong, but I'm sure Isle of Wight is one of the largest providers of garlic. For the UK. Oh, garlic, yes. Yes, we, we do have the garlic farm here. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely delicious. All sorts of garlic pickles and chutneys and butters and what have you. Um, also really uh, hot set asparagus. And we also have the tomato stall and the Isle of Wight tomato farm and mushroom farms here. Um, we have a valley called the Arison Valley, which is extremely sandy loam very very fertile and um, alongside tourism farming is one of our main industries. yeah, yeah people so, don't realize that that so, one of the the isle of no. whites technically the isle of whites biggest export is its farming that's right absolutely yeah Do not its buckets and spades no. <laughs> how was it then during the pandemic and stuff how was that being in lockdown in the isle of white um i think i think most uh, communities obviously struggled uh, i think yeah. from a commercial point of view you know we've only got um a finite resource um, in terms of the labour market and in terms of um, available market and competition. Um, hospitality um, and catering and obviously, you know, hotels, B&Bs and what have you. It was an immensely challenging time for them, as it has been across the country. Yeah. But, you know, particularly in this kind of environment, in terms of farming, you know, actually nothing changed massively. There was still labour market challenges with those who were poorly. Um, a bit just as there are those challenges now with the pandemic still in terms of business continuity um but i i did i i did feel that people really pulled together and for me you know growing up in the 70s ooh, i'm giving my age away yeah, no. um but for us living in cows you know we had a whatsapp group in the road that we set up right from the get-go so that we could all look out for each other people who were teachers in the road could help those who had young kids and you know, they'd never home educated before and they needed some help with that, um, you know, whether it was shopping or sourdough recipes, there was a real spirit. So that, you know, when we came out and clapped and cheered on a Thursday evening um, or on VE day, actually, there was there was a few bottles of wine sunk in the streets, you know, socially distanced. But yeah, that, that sense of community is still there for us here in Cows. That WhatsApp group is still going, which is yeah. lovely. I think people have... Rem there have been a lot of challenges, yes. I think people have been a bit more resourceful in terms of how they entertain themselves with everything being shut, how they engage with one another and their families, their loved ones through through digital technology, um, through Zoom and what have you. Um, but there's been a greater sense of identity and togetherness as well, even though it's been a really difficult time, people have pulled together. Um, but as a, you know, that's just my personal experience. I appreciate, you know, some people, there's been no change from, you know, my partner Dave, he's a key worker and he carried on going to work. Throughout. Yeah, so did I, yeah, because I work in care as well. So my full-time yeah. job is in care. So I, I, yeah. I, I never noticed a single difference. The only difference I noticed was the road where I just got to work in, in fly-in time. Yeah, exactly. No traffic issues. No. And now we're sort of, you know, creeping back to some sort of normality. It's absolute chaos. I, I had, um, Everyone's struggling to get petrol. Yeah, apparently. I, I, I had lunch with a friend yesterday and uh, I met his wife for the first time. And we were talking that during the pandemic, him and I were doing 36 hour shifts together. And yeah. um, he and I were talking to and his wife was working from home with, with and was at home with the two daughters. And they were in complete lockdown bubble. And yeah. my friend Cindy and I were talking about how we just did not understand what this bubble meant to some people. 
because him, him and I weren't in a bubble. And because you were the one that was going to work and doing long shifts and all of that, we were also the ones doing the shopping. So we would go. Yeah. And of course, my sister was in a bubble. So I did my sister's shopping. There was a couple of a couple of elderly neighbours. So I'd check in and do they need anything? You could just leave on the doorstep yeah. or at the end of the gate. So but so you're picking up prescriptions. You know what I mean? I'm going about my daily life like nothing's changed. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and this and, is it for some people, you know, nothing's changed. But, yeah. you know, like many, you also see, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I also notice that some people are also potentially far more vulnerable in our immediate um, community. Um, you know, perhaps live alone, normally see family or friends once, twice or three times a week or once, twice, three times a month. But all of a sudden that being severed, yeah, maybe not having um, access to um, or, oh, it was or terrible willingness to, yeah. to access technology to communicate. And so there has been that vulnerability um, open up. So whether it's picking up a prescription or dropping, you know, a bag yeah. of groceries at the end of the of the end of the um, the garage or whatever, yeah. you know, those those things I think have, have really been lifelines to some individual. Um, yeah. We're creatures of habit, aren't we, David? So, you know, our, whatever our normal has been, it's been normal for a reason. And of course there's massive variation in whatever normal looks like. But, you know, just before COVID, there was, uh, there was an appetite for talking about mental health, mental ill health far more openly. And I think, you know, in terms of work-life balance and work flexibility, the world of work has changed massively. And again, what is flexible and what is healthy and what is normal has changed in the world of work for most sectors. For some, nothing's changed at all. Yeah. But also in terms of mental health, you know, people are far more open. Things have changed perhaps for the better. I think some of the conversations about mental health and mental ill health and some of the conversations we've had about flexible working and work-life integration have also been accelerated because of covid and i don't think either of those things have i been think about. i've noticed a slight division in that oh, is a slight, a what, sorry. division where people are starting yeah. to divide because yeah you're seeing it with transport workers at the moment and for when you start talking, you know, funnily enough, before this all kicked off, I, I was having a conversation with, or oh, sorry, my brother was having a conversation with the guy that delivered oil to us. And he mm. was saying he recently had left the, the HGV petroleum business um, because he was getting more money doing online deliveries with Ocado because of online shopping. And he said, yeah. and he's then got a phone call off. Um, I won't mention the oil company's name that delivered oil. No. Um, um, and they were just like, oh, we need you, you know, can you come back? We, we need drivers because he's obviously got a license. And he's like, yeah, but I get paid this much for working. I'm sure he said a cardo, right? But I could be wrong, but it's the online shopping deliveries. He said, yeah. so he said, I get more money for them. And they're like, well, how much will it cost you to come back? He's like, oh, this much. They went, okay, we'll pay you. And he said, he, 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 he was telling my brother, he said, there's no shortage of lobby drivers. It's pay and conditions. He said, yeah, I could earn, he said, <clears throat> well, he, but he was also saying is the retirements, he said, people, it's not a glamorous job. No, it is a specialist all. job. Mm. And when the wages plummet, and I can get, and he said, and with the pandemic, he said there was the, the, up, the demand in online shopping created a mm. demand for delivery drivers. He said, it did. Mm. And he said, and that hasn't died off yet. And he said it was so like a thousand percent increase and supermarkets yeah. were willing to pay the wages. They, they have to. Yeah. yeah. Again, they're all competing with each other and they've done oh, very, a, very well. And he said in, in the pandemic, this is it. And he said, he said this. And he said, with people retiring 
and you know licensed places were closed so you couldn't do the driver training and all of that it says hgv drivers were in demand and we mm. went to the highest bidders and they absolutely did they actually had some some leverage for a change yeah. in the negotiations it's good for them mm. um so as you say and, it's not a glamorous job there haven't really there hasn't really been the recognition of what that that means your health to you know your social life or lack of and very yeah. long hours working as well and um, and just to add to your observation there about that division um our business is actually based from our home we've got a very large workshop at the bottom yeah. of the garden um so all of our shipping um, of materials comes in here and also goes out from here and we've actually noticed quite a lot of churn what i mean by that is um staff turnover with different logistics companies yeah, yeah. So um, they are up to their every single one we've spoken to in about the last you know year and a half or so. They're absolutely up to their eyes in deliveries, and um, you know you, you see um, rental vans at the back of the post office collecting surplus because you know as you say things have gone up by you know in, in some cases like a thousand by percent. over a thousand percent. Yeah, it's quite ridiculous. But equally, they can't work at that level of intensity you know, six days a week doing sort of 12, 14 hour day without lunch break in the heat and so on and so forth. This is it. Um, and, and the pressure is really, really on. So I think, yes, something, some businesses and some sectors have done really, really well um, during the pandemic. That's fantastic for them. But I think with that fast demand and fast growth comes a lot of um, issues and um, bumps and scrapes which need ironing out now because it's not sustainable for them or their staff to continue in that way on no. an ongoing basis. And the other area where I see the division, and this would apply to your partner as well and myself and shop workers and stuff like that, is, is the frontline care staff. We didn't furlough. Mm. So we're kind of caught between this rock and a hard place where, like I said, and th th this is just my own experience of when I then started talking to people when the, the lockdowns ended and people started coming out of furlough. Oh, and they're like, oh, well, it was this, is this like, no, no, no. There was a part of the country, probably as much as 50% of the country, who ca we carried on. We were yeah. never furloughed. We were never in a bubble. We carried on working like it, like there was no national health crisis. Like there was no pandemic and you've got these two different people based on their experience. And I'm fascinated to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, I've had, I still keep my hand in the HR side of stuff and I've got yeah. some clients um, that um, uh, have services in the care sector, some private and some not. And uh, you're absolutely right. So I have got that insight of having worked yeah. in um, supportive housing and also um, elderly care. Um, as well with clients where yeah business continuity is really really tough especially in small teams where perhaps the residents um, expectations and needs and um, perhaps also um, deteriorating health memory and concentration is really really hard yeah. to juggle whilst you're practically wearing a hazmat suit to just deliver their cup of tea oh yeah, yeah um, it's or, crazy. Pers or personal care um mm. so you know there's been a lot of fear as well and um you know, highly charged staff working in an environment where the, um, you know, the procedures in terms of hygiene and safety are changing practically daily. Um, and at times there's staff shortages, um, which they're, they're always were yeah, anyway, yeah. before COVID. And then that, that just manifested and all of those issues compounded over that period of time. So what we now have is many people who are frontline workers 
and um, I mean those off, you know, within the care um, environment, whether that's, um, you know, hospitals or homes or sheltered housing, you know, and so on. They they are burnt out. There is a real yeah. definition of burnout because it is all consuming. That kind of contribution in in your job it takes up your emotional energy, your mental energy. It's not just the physical burnout at all that we used to associate in you know the nineteen eighties as yuppie flu. This yeah. is this is true. I remember that. Um, yeah. yeah, you do remember that. Oh, good. You got good eye cream there, there David. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, just for the record, yeah, I'm, I'm forty seven today. Thing. Burnout is a real thing and we've still got a long winter ahead of us. We've got a long way to go to mm. get through things. And um, for us as a business, um, you know, people are talking about Christmas already um, with Chilly Winds mm. business um, and, you know, across retail full stop. I mean, we're actually currently planning for next summer at the moment because that's the cycles of, <laughs> of retail, which seems a bit bizarre, but that's how it is. Yeah, it is. But of course, consumers are now starting to think about, oh, autumn's here, Christmas is coming. But the supply chain issues that were created through COVID and compounded by Brexit are still there. There's containers and container ships stuck in ports for two or three months full of Christmas stuff that isn't probably going to arrive in the UK until January, February. Now, those are all largely destined for larger businesses. So there is a lot of pressure on those larger businesses to try and iron out some of those import um, issues that remain. But for smaller businesses, for shopping local, for made local and handmade, it's a great opportunity as well, which is actually what we need to do across the country to rebuild our economy, is be more resourceful with our local yeah, communities. Yeah, I know businesses. talking to a couple of building suppliers uh, during the summer, they they said the pandemic caused them massive problems because yeah. it, they said even though they get most of the stuff from the continent, they said it didn't Brexit didn't affect that. They said mm. what affected it is when all of these countries went into lockdown, mm. he said they shut down the factories that produced lime, produced cement, produced the, the he said the logging. Yeah, he said the logging industry in Scandinavia, the, the largest export in the world, certainly to Europe and, and Great Britain. They said they just shut down. Yeah. So again, it's basic economics and supply and demand, which means material yeah. costs have gone through the roof. And for us, um, you know, we've had to be a bit more resourceful. We've had quite a few bumps with our supply chain and we've had to build in several contingencies with some of our materials. And we are now really thankful and proud that all of our materials are now sourced within the UK, which is superb. Yeah. It doesn't mean there aren't problems. There are. But also the material cost has gone up, which because we're not yet in a position where we feel we can um, readily pass that on to our customers um, or resellers. Um, we've swallowed that for now with, you know, it's taken a hit on our margins. Um, but some of our material costs have gone up by sort of 30, 35%. Um, which is really tough when you're trying to grow a business. Um, there hasn't been government support for us at all um, during this time because of when we started up, because we don't have retail premises and we're not paying business rates, we're one of the 3.2 million small businesses in the UK who hasn't had that helping hand. Well, Equally, you can imagine but... you can imagine as a, a care worker who worked double the hours to now be yeah. told, I've got to help with the tax bill. Really? Yeah, yeah, right. Thank you. Well, really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And you're not getting a pay rise, you're getting a pay freeze. <laughs> you know I, mean? it's just I like, know. I love, I know. I, you know, it's a so gift it's that keeps on giving. It's, it's a gift that keeps squeezed. We shouldn't probably go too political here, David, as I might speak uh, out of turn. 
yeah, <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I, I'll be fair to everybody. I, I think regardless of who was in charge, if you look around the world, they've all pretty much followed the same model. Yeah. yeah you know, and you can argue they all got it right or they all got it wrong. They but, did what they had to and they did their best. <laughs> and I think any, any criticism can only be done in hindsight. And well, we're all yeah. we're all smart as the next person in hindsight, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, We've I'm got a, to get on with it anyway. I'm, Can't change what's happened, yeah. but we can change the next steps. So. In hindsight, I'm a genius level at everything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. So, we are really looking forward to the future. There has been one thing we um, have been eligible for, which has been the Kickstart um, scheme. Um, and we're just going through a process at the moment, hopefully to recruit somebody to help us for a short term period of time. And I'm really, really excited about that because, again, showing our values and also using my HR background, I'm really, really invested um, in helping a young person develop their yeah. skills, their knowledge, their confidence. And whether they stay with us in the longer term or whether they move on, you know, young people have had a really rough time of it. These last few years full stop. And um, with cost of living um, rising, the fact that, the fact that they can't live um, off the bank of mum and dad forever, and eventually they're going to need to um, lay down a deposit and build their own home in future, I think we should be helping one another. And I think we should be helping the next generation enter the job market and build and form a life for themselves. So I'm really looking forward to helping a young person, even if it is for a short period of time. It depends on just how, you know, the, the I, longevity of that opportunity will just depend on, um, you know, our affordability and our cash flow. But I do think I do think one of the things that has been overlooked uh, essentially for quite a few years now is for, for the youth is like is I, I have this kind of cynicism about and I call it Pinterest sunset quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And and it is it is a cynicism because we can all be guilty of staring at Pinterest and, and dreaming. And actually, there's a reality to running your own business and there's a reality to startups and the reality to, for, to work in that. I think, you, you know, you mentioned the 70s. Like I said, um, I'm actually 47 today. It's my birthday today. I'm 47. Right. So Happy birthday, thank you. David. So and the same as our mutual friend, Zoe Palmer. Yes. Yes, it is my birthday today, yeah. So um so our reality growing up was very different. Yeah. You know, we we grew up in one of the worst recessions of the decade of of that century. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And unemployment was sky high. So mm -hmm. we kind of and th there was no internet. It didn't exist. There was no social media. You had a job center, do you know what I mean? And you had a bus pass if you were lucky. And we had a library, you know, that that, that was our resources. And so we have a very different mentality to the hardship of getting on the property ladder to start and work. And it was very much, and this, I'm not saying it was right or better, but there was no sympathy. If you yeah, wanted something, wasn't. if you wanted something, you had to go and get it. And mm -hmm. if, if you fell over and life didn't turn out as well as you'd hope, you would just say, oh, that's life, mate. So pick yourself up yeah yeah and like i said i'm not saying it was the correct way i'm not saying it was better i'm just saying that that was the environment that we grew up it was in a different and, time yeah. yeah and i think there was a benefit to that like you say with startups to see to be able to help young people say no no this is what you have to do yeah this it, is this and, is what you put in in order to get out yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly that and like yeah. you said it, this is uh your third year you said isn't it yeah, where we've been training for, yeah, coming up to 
two and a half years this month. And so yeah, this is our third year trading. Um, yeah, it's quite tough setting up is. anyway, as you know. Um, and in the environment we have, we have to be massively uh, flexible um, and responsive and opportunistic, which we have been and we will continue to be to ensure that we are competing and we are successful. But it's not without its lessons learned. It's really hard work, really, really hard work. And it is round the clock. It is working seven days a week. But I also I would say I play seven days a week, too, because there's yeah. so much there's so much pleasure in working for yourself because you can call the shots because you are getting out of bed for yourself. You're driving yourself um, all the time. You're problem solving creatively all the time. You're building new relationships. You're then cultivating and, and deepening those relationships, um, whether that's with your customers or whether that's with your resellers um, or with your supply chain. So there's a huge amount of learning along the way, um, but there's a huge amount of support as well. And I think it's so important as a, as a young business to, no matter how long in the tooth you are or not, or experienced you are or not, is to have a bit of humility and to ask for help. And, um, you know, if, if I hadn't asked for help from all of the experts that we have um, drawn in in the last sort of year 18 months then we wouldn't be where we are today with actually quite an optimistic outlook and a positive approach and a clear strategy about what's coming in the next couple of years and beyond that um, so yeah having that humility to learn from your mistakes and to say I need help I don't know how to do this um, you know, I'm quite a proud person. Dave and I are actually yes. both very stubborn and independent people. So it's not natural for us to necessarily ask for help, but we've, we've had to learn how to do that. And, um, and it's okay to, if anything, I wish we'd done it just slightly sooner than we did. But yeah. hey, never mind. We are where we are. Again, that's that hindsight gem, isn't it, David? So earlier when we were talking, you, you mentioned you just come from one trade show and you said yep. you've, you've got a little bit of respite and by respite, that means now prep and work your yeah. ass off, um, <laughs> yeah. for, uh, the next set, which is in November. Did you say? We've got a large show at uh, Newbury Showground at the end of the first weekend in November, which is our first Christmas uh, B2C event. We've got a number of other smaller um, community events dotted around the South Coast. And then we're building up for BBC Countryfile in the park in Wiltshire um, in nice. mid-December, which is a three-day event. Um, so we were recently invited by them just over a month ago to join them with, I think there's a cap of 200 traders in a massive countryside um, estate in um, South Gloucestershire, North Wiltshire area. Um, so we'll be up there for a day setting up and then it's three days, um, exclusive ticketed event um, and the TV cameras and shows, there'll be demonstrations there. Uh, there's like a food hall where you, you know families can get in and do stuff so there's something for everyone whatever that your age right. um or, or what have you whatever your interest yes there's the shopping event and of course there'll be mulled wine and there'll be music and there'll be the tv stuff going on but there'll be plenty of demonstrations and things that people can actually roll up their sleeves and you know literally mm. get their hands dirty in the woods and, and um really looking forward to that because we're huge fans of country fire um good old uh yeah i think i think we were both old before our time i've enjoyed country fire followed by antiques roadshow on a sunday night for about the last 30 years to be fair we were limited well to be fair we remember being limited to free channels so we didn't have many choices <laughs> oh that was the black and white days though wasn't it, it? Was. let's be honest it was <laughs> black and white telly 
<laughs> so w- one of the things you you mentioned there, and I, I just want to highlight this to people, because you said about, you know, I'm sh- there's going to be some mulled wine and some, you know, songs and things. But you also mentioned it's a three-day event and you'd go the day before to set up. So you're probably going to yeah. pack up the day after. So that becomes five days, doesn't it? Well, coming from the Isle of Wight, <laughs> yeah. we've got it We've got it nailed in terms of the project planning side of it. Um, and we have to. We have to plan the detail, less the big stuff, way in advance to make sure everything goes smoothly. So we go up the day before to set everything up. And actually, on setting down takes a fraction of the time. Yeah. So setting down from, a, from an event, um, like Top Draw, for example, in London, it took us... Um, just shy of six hours once we had arrived to set up our exhibition stand it took us just less than an hour to set down from it so um we're actually going to be hot footing it back to the isle of Wight on the final day um that finishes around about six o'clock i think it is um on the 12th of december up in wiltshire for that bbc event but then again who knows we might be having a conversation with john craven or ellie yeah. we might be selling ellie a candle this who is knows? it Oh, she, she looks like somebody's up for a candle. I reckon. I reckon. Yeah, we'll be the crazy people waving in the background at the TV yeah. cameras and walking past with a product. Because <laughs> one of the things that fascinates me about candles anyway, because I actually, I do have, as I look around, I can see three different types of candle in my oh, okay. office. Right. Oh, we're friends then, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> well, you can never have enough. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean, I, I, I do like candles. I, I, you know, it's. I think it's one of the best air fresheners you can have. Do you know what I mean? It's just definitely you know, candles. I mean, so. But one of the things I, I'm always fascinated about people who do seasonal things like candles and stuff like that. Yeah. When, when do you have to start prepping for Christmas? Well, I've got just over a thousand already made for, of our Christmas stock. We, after London, um, we also sold several thousand Christmas stock because retailers need to plan too. Um, and um, yeah, we, we started, as I say, the retail cycles, manufacturing cycles for retail yeah. go in cycles. So we're currently planning next summer, which may seem just bizarre to your listeners, but that is, that's how it works. Um, I know that quite a lot of retailers stick, you know, uh, Christmas stuff on the shelves before the kids have even gone back to school, which seems a bit daft and it actually perhaps alienates some consumers um, potentially, um, you know, and a lot of people don't want to even think about Christmas until, um, you know, well, Halloween or Guy, Faw- Guy Fawkes yeah. is out of the way. But, you know, Christmas means different things to different people. I'm actually not a massive fan of Christmas and Christmas Day itself. Dave's key worker. He often works yeah. on Christmas Day. So for me, yeah, you know, life's for living. And you grab grab your moments. You, you, you celebrate what you can celebrate when you have the opportunity to and when you're in the mood to rather than the yeah. date on the calendar. But do you, so, know that, you, know, you know that excitement and that buzz that people get around December? I you love know. that. I love the build up. Yeah, but how do you so you're you've got to be thinking about a candle a Christmas candle range, say. Yeah. In what, yeah. June, July? I mean I don't no. mean the making. Um, I mean like when you sit down like, right, how are we planning for November, December, the range, the, the seasonal side? It's usually late spring and then have it all thrown <laughs> up design wise by the summer so that you're making yeah. in advance. So that's so what I mean. How, how do you get into the mentality of the excitement of Christmas? So I, I, there's a little thing here. So I have this thing to get me into Christmas. 
in and around the 1st of December, I will watch the 1984, I think it's George C. Clark version of Scrooge, the, the Christmas Carol, <laughs> right? Okay. And I watch it every year, right? The, the minute that that starts, at some time around the 1st of December, right, mm-hmm. I then like, okay, Christmas can happen now. I'm in the yeah. mood for Christmas. And yeah. I, I can't okay, do it in November. <laughs> yeah, just to just, just, So I can't do yeah. that in November, in yeah. October. No, it, start, it waits until December. <clears throat> Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, it's almost in a way about compartmentalising things because obviously we um, we make and we sell products that are really popular at Christmas, yeah. but from a business perspective, we have to plan for that. So it's just business and it's just a, a product as such, and we have a vision for how that might look and feel from a sensory perspective, how it might smell, how it that kind of cosy feel that people look for and really enjoy at Christmas, ourselves <laughs> included. But in a way, I think we sort of keep ourselves a little bit emotionally detached when it's summertime. It's so hard to really immerse yourself in all things this Christmas saying. when you're designing something in spring and, and summertime and having photo shoots for it at that time of year, you know, trying to find props that are relevant at that time of year just seems a bit bizarre. But then actually, you know, for me as a, as a consumer myself, and Dave's the same, as I say, you know, Quite often he's working on Christmas Day and, you know, the days before and afterwards. He has to take his turn, as do many people. Um, And it's not all about the 25th of December. It's actually about the whole spirit of it over several weeks. Well, that's got to be the advantage of Cambridge, hasn't it? And if you build up too much pressure and expectation for one day, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. So actually it's about, you know, by the time we get to December... you know, all of the planning and, you know, all of that has all happened. So actually, we do kind of get to a point where you get to about probably the 15th, between the 15th and the 18th of December, where if people actually haven't bought their products from us yet, they probably aren't going to. So we get a chance to sort of just sit back and relax a little bit. And, um, you know, as, as consumers ourselves, just soak up the atmosphere. I, you know, I'm not someone who walks around on Christmas Eve looking a bit dazed in a high street, like no. you know, some people have been, all genders have been known to. <laughs> um, and I'm a planner. So for me personally, um, I, you know, for my friends, for my family, if I, if I have an idea or I see something that inspires me, I get it there and then and I put it in a cupboard yeah. and around about late October, I have to think about, oh, I should probably have a look in that cupboard and see where I've got to with, you know, the people I'd like to gift this Christmas. Um, and, you know, so the same with many people, you know, our kids grown up, we've both got previous lives, me and Dave, but our kids are grown up. Most of our friends' kids are um, uh, sort of growing up or nearly grown up. We tend not to buy each other things these days. And it's been that way for a good probably five years or so now. We tend to spend time with our loved ones doing something we enjoy and creating a memory. We're not particularly into materialistic things. So, you know, Dave and I set set a really small budget for each other and it needs to just be fun. Because actually we're going on holiday in January and that to us is our gift to each other. And that will be our break in our Christmas because we'll be making memories together, doing something we both really enjoy. So for us, it's not about having a re-gifted present or an ornament that we don't really like that's probably going to gather dust somewhere. 
um, or another bottle of perfume. No, that you, you don't you're right. Like. You, know. you know, we don't. You don't need stuff, do you? You don't need to surround yourself with stuff. You need to. <laughs> it's you know, it's funny you people, say that. Yeah. Many people like to just keep things quite simple and and have a happy time and share memories and share laughter and yeah. share a bottle of wine. The, the reason I'm kind of chuckling is because yesterday when I was at my friend's house for lunch and I, I met his wife for the first time in, and my mum was with me, do you know what I mean? Because him and I worked together and he started being nice to... Yeah. And uh, anyway, towards, you know, we'd had lunch and he's like, oh, do you, do you want pudding? I was like, oh, I don't know. He said, well, you, you need to because we've made you a birthday cake. No. Yeah, and I was <laughs> just like... Really sweet. Exactly. That, that was like, like, this is the best so present thoughtful. I've had. Yeah. 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 And, and it's like you say, you could not have bought me that. No, no, no. The fact they they the fact thought that it was a surprise. They yeah. thought about it in advance, and they actually followed it through. That's really yeah. And it turned out thought. it wasn't a, a bought cake. They made me a cake. Yeah. And I was just like, I was about to swear. Then I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. You know what I mean? This Did is they put the... forty-seven candles on it. Just no, to wind you up. No, no, no. <laughs> we we skipped the candles. But it, that thing, like you're saying, it, it, the gesture, and like you yeah. say, is you get to a point, like you're saying, like with you and Dave, you get to a point where that holiday. Is far more important than some yes. some object that oh yeah great yeah you know a little budget for Christmas so that we are actually making the effort which yeah is exactly <coughs> sentimental Doing something thoughtful but nothing like serious because you know there's no because the holiday to do that the event yeah. why the ho- just accumulate materialistic stuff when yeah, when you can have a memory yeah yeah we're and going skiing I- actually can't wait yeah just what I mean that that's a much better time kind of it's amazing what becomes more valuable to you doesn't it it does shift I think it started to shift during my late 30s and um yeah the last sort of 10 years or so the emphasis on what actually drives my sense of happiness and fulfillment is has really shifted and going back to a comment you made about um how it was for us growing up you know, and, you know, living through um, probably one of the worst um, recessions of, of the century, you know, probably both, you know, we're roughly the same age. So our our parents are kind of that generation and ilk of the final salary pension scheme, yeah. low property prices, they capitalised on that, job for life, you know, and, and the world of work right now is, again, just so different. And I think there used to be so much status and identity people would place and, and try and form an identity based on their material possessions in previous generations. And it's something I've witnessed time and again with my peers and their family and their, their parents and what have you growing up. And during my 30s, I just thought, do you know what? It's not important to me to have a massive house. It's not important to me to have a flashy car. It was the point in having that if I can't then travel the world and see <laughs> X, Y and Z, you know, and, and experience things, not have things and gather things and have a loft full of stuff I don't know what to do with after a couple of decades. I'd just rather have a really amazing experience and, and hold on to I, that. I was, That's what I was thinking about that. The very thing today, obviously, I was a bit sort of nostalgic because it's my birthday and um, I moved back into my mum's house when I was 30 after living, yeah. I left home at 18, came back sort of temporarily when I was 30 and never moved out. But I then looked at... Did you kick them out? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but I sat thinking, the I surfed on three different continents now in, I think it was like, I can't remember how many con- different countries I've surfed in. Um, oh, you're a surfer. Yeah, so and I, I normally go surfing every September with my friend Duncan. And I nice. sat and I sat there just thinking about this the other day, uh, today, how many places I've been, because like you say, I stopped chasing the big house, the 
like, like, yeah. and I swapped it for doing things. Do you know, we've, we've got a common interest there, David. I taught myself to surf when I was about 32. I'm now 45 and uh, longboarding. That's and, what I do. Um, I've got a 10 foot longboard. Oh, I've got loads of longboards. It's just, yeah, it's so incredible. Whether you're a bit wired or whether you're hungover, whatever the weather, getting in the water and having a paddle and catching a ride, it's just yeah. amazing feeling. And um, before Dave and I met, we've been together six years now, but before then, um, my daughter's almost 20 now, but before Dave and I met, um, she used to spend one Christmas with her dad and one Christmas with me, and it would alternate. And I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I kind of got over that as the years went on. But one Christmas I said to myself, do you know what, this Christmas, I'm going to go on a surfing holiday. And some of my friends were like, you're so having a midlife crisis. And I'm like, I'm yeah, so Mine was not. a midlife crisis. For I just really <laughs> like surfing. And why would I, why do I just want to spend Christmas, you know, on the Isle of Wight? Um, and it's a bit chilly and a bit damp when I could go to Morocco. I'd been to, I've done Morocco. So I, I went to Morocco for I Christmas. went to Tagazoo. Yeah, I stayed near there really near yeah, them. When on you went down to, um, there was an amazing um, uh, point break at Imswan, further down yeah. the coast. Yeah, I've, I, uh, that's, went, I, I did you? that. I'd done that point break all oh. the way to the beach. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's about a two-minute ride. Off the harbour wall. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, a really short walk to then get back and paddle back yeah, out I did. Again. I did it. I was really lucky on that day. There was a nice light long board wave coming in it wasn't too hectic yeah. and not too crowded no it wasn't it was a little bit crowded because people wanted the cleaner wave and yeah. i was just like do you know what? i'll stay by the wall and take the white water because it reformed and yeah. it, they all reformed i see amazing and i paddled got it and yeah i managed to stay on the wave i had to pump a couple of times but i managed to stay on the wave mm -hmm. all the way to the beach and i was just like nice. i am a surfing god this oh, is brilliant i know but you I saying know. that about um, midlife <laughs> crisis, right? Um, I was, it was seven years ago because I went to Fuerteventura and I had my longboard with me. And thank you to EasyJet for damaging my longboard. Um, oh. And I was stood in the queue at Gatwick and we were getting a plane to Fuerteventura and me and we went Duncan. And you can imagine two guys with 10 foot longboards in a very packed queue. The baggage yeah. and everything broke down, right? And we're taking up basically 20 foot of space in this queue. <laughs> and I'm stood there and there's this little kid and he looks at his mum and he goes, mum, mum, mummy, what's that? And she just looked and, and I went, what, what's in that? And he went, yeah, I went, that's my midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I fair to the crowd, they all laughed and, and the mum said, yeah. that's the best response I could have heard. <laughs> But thing is, I don't think I'm ever going to grow up. And Dave feels the same way. He's five years old than me. Um, I think, I think you can age before your time if you stop pursuing um, things yeah. that make you tick and things that make your heart thump. And um, I've always enjoyed sport. I used to do a lot of mountain biking. I used to compete. Um, I used, yeah, always been into sport, whether it's cycling or badminton or you know swimming. And I, I'd always wanted to try surfing. And I had thought I'm probably the wrong side of 30 to be starting this. And all of those thoughts went through my head about, you know, people will judge me, people will think this, people will think that. And I thought, at the end of the day, I'm not living my life to please everyone yeah. else. 
I'm, I'm living my life to be my best life and I'm going to give it a go because it looks really good fun and it was really good fun and it was really hard work learning and um, I also did a lot of volunteering uh, uh, that involved surfing with a couple of different surf schools um, and um, that was hugely important as well like trying to help young people build their communication confidence through a water-based activity just splashing around in the white yeah. water, you know um but it was again like giving back that community giving and, and inspiring a young person to give something a try and it doesn't matter if you fall off and look like it a wally. it just doesn't matter the whole point is have fun and just because you hit 30 or 40 or 50 why stop having fun because that's know, it um, i mean when i started surfing it was probably only about 10 years ago i was the same i was like do you know what i'm, I'm the wrong age the wrong height wrong size this, sh- this should be good for a giggle. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you just take it. Right. Uh, before, because I, I, we both need to finish up, I know. I want to just quickly, how did you get from a cocktail to rhubarb candle Yeah. to chilly winter? Well, cocktail was named chilly winter yeah. because we'd had a few too many gins. And um, I wanted a rhubarb candle. I wanted just rhubarb, not all of the rhubarb and everything else to tart it up. Um, How do you even... A rhubarb candle, it's just like the most random scented candle you could want. Yeah, probably. But I just love rhubarb. I love all things rhubarb. I love the flavour, the texture. I love the colour of it. I think it's a beautiful plant to grow um, in a garden or an allotment. It's so architectural and it's delicious. And it reminds me of old days, like being on my granddad's allotment when yeah. I was a kid. And um, so rhubarb is, I think, just, I mean, it's a Marmite thing. You either love it or you oh, hate have, it. I, um, there's rhubarb grown behind me. Yeah, absolutely love it. And um, yeah, so I, I just thought I really I want a rhubarb candle so much, not rhubarb and custard or rhubarb and ginger mm. or rhubarb and blackberry. I just thought, well, how hard can it be? So, yeah, I set about um, learning. I made a lot of mistakes while I was learning how to make candles because it's actually not quite as simple as, you know, measure that, pour that, mix that. There's um, there's a huge amount of science that goes into it. And there's a lot of compliance in terms of labeling and safety um because of allergens even naturally occurring um essential oils have allergens for example so you know we're really really squeaky quick uh, clean on all of the testing and quality side of stuff and all of the labeling without that we wouldn't have a business and i also wouldn't be able to sleep well at night because if we had oh, yeah. you know something went wrong for somebody and we hadn't done our bit to prevent that or minimize that then um you know i i would be absolutely devastated so it's taken years to find the right materials source the right materials um be happy with them test them extensively um uh to, to come up with the product range but that we have how did you go from you obviously nailed the rhubarb candle yeah how did that then turn into actually I want to make this somebody a Somebody said to me, somebody said, um, oh, do you do any others? I'd love a sage and sea salt. And I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Something quite mellow, something, you know, um, warmer, more perhaps yeah. versatile as a fragrance to suit other rooms. And um, I just really enjoyed experimenting and playing around with it creatively and I think intellectually from a business point of view. Um, I was I was definitely on my route to burnout, commuting. Yeah. Um, working, I was head of HR for a charity um, based in Southampton, covering um, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. 
And so I was, you know, getting up at stupid o'clock to get the first red jet of the day, uh, if it was working, if the tide and the mechanical failures weren't all facing in the wrong direction. Um, most days it would, you know, there'd be a problem with the commute in one direction or the other. And I just thought, you know what? Living life just to get washing on on a Friday night and sort of feel like you're collapsing over the weekend to clean the house and get the shopping in, only to do it all over again. You know, when you're working at that level, you've got to walk the talk if you're an HR and you're specialising in engagement yeah. and well-being. <clears throat> and what is the point in me compromising my own physical and mental health? Um, because I'm, I'm not actually walking the talk. I'm simply following you know, um, I suppose a choice that I've made for myself, but actually one that doesn't keep me fulfilled. So things were growing. We had about, we had about 12 stockists at the time when I decided to call it a day with my employer. And um, I worked my 12 weeks notice and I took the plunge. And I, I think I'd spent so many years toying with the idea of working for myself from an HR perspective, not with Chilly Winds. Chilly Winds had just emerged. It just evolved. Um, and I, lo <clears> I love the way that that evolved from curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Just Do you know what I mean? Yeah, just, oh. And, and do you know oh. what, though, David? This time last year, I'd say I was probably working 70% of the time on my HR consultancy and 30% Chilly Winter but I'd say it's now 80-20 the other way around. Um, and everything I've learned in the corporate world as an HR business partner, as a head of HR, you know, you, you work in the financial yeah. realms, you, you understand supply chains, you understand quality, you understand engagement and um, business growth and business development. And there's been a huge amount I've been able to apply from that experience over 25 years and bring it into what we do so that we've got really clear foundations so um, some of the help that we've drawn in is where perhaps I've needed some coaching, I've needed some support in shaping up our strategy because some of our goals haven't been clear because we just evolved and it grew arms and legs. Actually, it looks a bit woolly. And in order to actually have a viable and sustainable business, you need to add a bit more structure than that and, and give it a bit more thought. So having some external coaching, having some experts um, come in to help us design some of that with us was was massively helpful. But there's still learning every day. I actually start in bizarrely, I actually started in retail. So I'm actually going back to my roots as such. But even if I'm delivering, you know, if I'm delivering mental health training, so I'm a mental health first aid England instructor, if I'm delivering that, I put my heart and soul into it. And um, you know, that's quite an emotive topic. There's some really heavy subjects mm. that you discuss um and explore with people well, you don't know and necessarily trust and they're placing huge trust and faith in you so once i've you know finished say a two-day course discussing really heavy topics like depression like suicide things like that i'm quite tired afterwards because yeah. i've been looking after the welfare and vulnerability of every single participant because obviously and we were going to i sort of book in my diary time to just build stock and make make yeah. stock because i can just put the music on and i can my brain just disappears when i'm making stock it just it all of that stress and pressure all of that even though that's planned and it's willing and i'm very happy and fulfilled to be delivering yeah. mental health training you still got to find ways and times to look after yourself and take care of yourself properly so i literally diarize time between things that are very intellectually and emotionally demanding 
to you know the other end of the spectrum which is hugely cathartic and relaxing for yeah. me so it is a happy balance <clears throat> it's a happy balance running both businesses well, because I was going to say, because initially when we um, spoke and we were on emails, we were going to talk about both subjects, and but we really dived into and got distracted. So hopefully, if you're up for it, we can do <laughs> another podcast on the mental health and the HR side. Yeah, I'd love to. There is then... an overlap. Obviously, yeah. you know, the whole purpose of lighting a candle, whether it's scented or not, is that, you know, you light it, the flame, the light flickering, it calms your mood, it sets a mood, um, it gives you a cosy feel, it helps you along the way if it's an aspirational mood that you know, you're looking yeah. to set as opposed to one you actually have now. Um, and we can do that in the morning. It doesn't have to be in the evening and the winter that we enjoy that. It can be while we're enjoying a bath in the middle of the summertime. You know, um, there's candles for different rooms, different purposes, different occasions to be enjoyed outdoors, indoors, in the kitchen, in the bedroom. Um, and it's, it's all about actually being still and slowing down and looking after yourself and uh, some mindful well-being um, side of stuff, which, of course, links back to the mental health stuff. And that's a wonderful place to finish. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for having me, David. It's been great to chat to you. And there was me talking to Kathy from Chilly Winters, from everything from candles to silver jewellery, to the current state of the pandemic and hindsight. And I love these podcasts where we just get into a flow and we just talk and they're absolutely brilliant. In a couple of weeks, there will be another podcast with Kathy and we'll be talking about all things mental health and and what she can suggest and things that, she, that can help you and what to be aware of, both from a personal point of view and from a company point of view. And please check out the links if you're interested in candles. I'll make sure the links to the websites are all in the descriptions. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please like, share, comment, subscribe. I love feedback. Have a great day, people. Thank you. <laughs>